Hey, the sport of fly fishing is made up of three different categories. You have casting, you have fishing, and you have fly tying. On this segment of the program, we're going to talk a little bit about fly tying. That's right, getting your lures ready to hit the water. Hi, everyone. Your host, Bill Barty, right here. I hang my hat through the week over at Jesse Brown's, and that's where we're going to go on this segment because we have head fly fishing guide and lead instructor from Jesse Brown's who's going to join us on the program right now, Elijah St. Blancard. Welcome to the Carolina Outdoors. How are we doing? I'm doing well, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Before we get into fly time, I just have to take this opportunity because many of our listeners are curious, and we're going to, of, of course, we've just gotten through talking a little bit about winter camping, but um, how has the fishing been this winter? Do you have any words of advice before we jump in about fly tying? Yeah, it's been it's been really good this this winter. It's one of my favorite times to get out. The rivers are a lot less crowded with people not wanting to brave the cold and and it's it's been really good in winter. Changing tactics a little bit, but um still still great fishing out there. I know Elijah, we didn't have rain for several months and and that was a a, a downer for sure. The water uh, got low. How does that? But the state was still stocking several of the streams. Um, what does that low water mean? And selfishly, let's just come at it from a catching catching standpoint. Does it um, does it lower the competitive competitiveness for the angler when the water is low? The fish have less places to go to get away. Yeah, if you're looking at one of the delayed harvest streams, you know, all fall the water was so low, so the fisher really congregated in the pools, the deeper pools. So it's really hard for them to move around. Um, you know, that time of year when it was low and clear, we were catching a lot of fish on dry flies, which was fun. Um, and, you know, some sections of the state saw like two and a half, three inches of rain uh, we so desperately needed. Right. And what that did was, especially on the delayed harvest streams where all the fish are congregated, that pushed a lot of fish around, around the river, uh, to different sections, um, and now it's really enjoyable to get out. You may not catch, you know, 20 fish in a hole. Now you'll catch one, two, three fish in areas that are a little bit more fun to cast to, along banks, along structure. So it's not that not that fishing in a pool is unrealistic, but, you know, it's a lot more fun in my eyes to, to get out and catch fish that are a little more naturally, you know, in their natural habitat instead of just where they were poured in in a pool. Well, of course, what this is all about is these are artificial lures. When you're fly fishing, you're taking uh, the flies, a weighted line, and you're delivering this essentially weightless lure into the water, making it look natural as you uh, as you manage your fly line and the fly as it flows down the, the moving stream, uh, at least in this case. And, Elijah, with that, I mentioned you have uh, fly casting. They're competitions only for casting. You have fishing, which what uh, so many of us just enjoy going, being in a mountain stream, being at a lake, a pond or even the coast for the saltwater people, and being on a fishing trip. But then you have this third leg of the stool called fly tying. This is taking uh, uh, tools along with materials and a hook and building out a fly with these materials that really essentially imitates nature. 
And we're talking about that because it's a great winter sport, but it's also an art, an art form. And, of course, here on the program, we like to get a little bit artistic every once in a while. We had Robin Stallings of Robin Stallings Art over at Jesse Brown's, and we spoke with her. If you want to listen to that, go back, type in Robin Stallings over at the podcast, and up that interview will pop up. But, Elijah, it made uh, us want to talk to you a little bit about what it takes to get into fly tying. And I, I know that some of the most important tools for a, a tire, I'll list them out. Some of these I might get you to tell us what they are. We have them over at Jesse Brown's, but a fly tying vice, scissors, bobbins, bodkins, whip finishers are just a few. I know what a vice is. That's something that they either uh, clamps or is a pedestal on your desk or table. Um, and I get, you know, scissors. Of course, I know what that is. But what's a bodkin and what's a bobbin? And how do we use these tools to take materials and create a fly on a hook? Good question. So first off, don't be intimidated by all the fancy lingo. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you, know, you know, it's nice to simplify it because, you know, when I got started years ago, it was like, wait, what is this? I have no idea what this is. And, <laughs> yes. and you know, there's only a few tools that you need to get started. And you mentioned pretty much the, the core core needs. Um, you mentioned the vice, uh, the, the bodkin is the tool that you use that you actually string your thread on. And that helps you be really precise with your wraps um, to tie in the materials for the fly. The bobbin, excuse me, I see I get them confused. (laughs) Hey, we haven't even gotten to hair stackers yet. So that'll (laughs) be the, (laughs) that's coming up. Yeah. Um, The, the bobbin is, is a fancy needle. Um, you know, when you're tying a bunch of little, small, you know, 18s, 20s, it's nice to have a little needle to kind of, um, you know, move your materials around to, you know, split thread to add the final glue to the fly. Um, and then the whip finisher is the tool you use. Helps kind of simplifies a knot for you. So it's where I see most people having struggles with is, is the whip finishing tool to create a um, a half hitch to finish the fly, and that's all that tool is, just to kind of simplify it for you. Okay, so you covered the tools pretty well. Hair stacker is just something that uh, evens out the the hairs, whether they be um, horse hair or, or or whatever. Stack them so they're somewhat even before you tie them onto the hook. Talk to us, speaking of hooks, about the materials that are used in this art form called fly tying. Um, and I have a list because it it runs the gamut, really, besides the hooks. Thread, beads, you mentioned thread, beads and eyes, foam and rubber legs, flash and tinsel. Um, that's what essentially we tie, but it's kind of like being a cook, a chef, if you will, in the kitchen. There are recipes for different uh, different flies, different bugs, different forms in nature that we're taking these materials to replicate. Anything from a mayfly to an underwater nymph um, is what these these uh, recipes are made up for. Am I right on that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, then here's my next thing. Natural fibers versus synthetic because I know – 
I know back in the olden days, I've uh, you know there are all these critters from deer hair to, well, some of them are illegal now. Back in the olden days, like polar bear, you'd never these days you'd never uh, have polar bear hair. Am I getting in TJ in trouble, TJ? Go, <laughs> but back in the our great grandparents were able to use some things that are not as prevalent now. That's right, those bald eagle feathers. Uh, not legal, uh, nor polar bear legal. So because of that, Elijah, they have created synthetics that really replicate those natural fibers that aren't obtainable anymore. Or maybe, I'll ask you this, the synthetic works better than the natural. Do you have a feeling on that? I think in most flies, you know, the recipes call for kind of a little bit of both. Um, I think natural feathers will always have a place in fly tying, and I think they're, mm. they're like the staple. What what the artificial, um, you know, the synthetic materials are doing is, you know, adding a little bit more movement, flow to the fly. They're adding cool colors. They're adding a lot of flash and sparkle to the flies. Um, so, but the cool thing is, like, there's a lot of, for instance, like a peacock curl, there's that's a natural peacock feather that's got a lot of minute little flash pieces in, in the feather. So it looks really good in the vice and then even better in the water. So I think ultimately like a, a combination of both. And, you know, some, some recipes call for all synthetic, some call for all natural material. But the, really, the real beauty in fly fishing for me is you get to be creative. There's no wrong way to do it. Um, and I think kind of as humans in this day and age, we have a hard time using the creative side of, side of our brain. So for me, to be able to sit down with a vice and, and just be creative and, and tie kind of whatever your heart desires. You know, there's, there's no wrong pattern. There's no wrong fly. There's no wrong recipe. And it's really fun and, and encouraging for, you know, people that are just getting started in it. Well, we have a blog up at jessebrowns.com. It's under the news page, and it's got a lot of uh, what we're talking about, Elijah. Uh, Elijah St. Blancard from Jesse Browns joining us here on the Carolina Outdoors with your host, Bill Barty. But on there, it has uh, a lot of really what you're saying uh, typed up on the blog. But some of what's recommended is, uh, one, buy the best that you can afford, the best uh, vice, the best tools, the best materials. Uh, go for versatility and added value to what you are uh, uh, investing in. Prioritize what you're going to tie. And fourth is seek expert advice. And, Elijah, that's where you come in, the expert advice that it takes to jump in. And, of course, we have the uh, beginnings, the genesis, if you will, of a new fly tying club in Charlotte, the Charlotte area, called Charlotte Vice. But before that happens, we have introductory courses at Jesse Brown's that you are instructing. Um, when you are uh, when these when, when people invest in seeking expert advice, um, how do you start off your introduction to the sport of fly tying? First, making people aware that this is a a long, dark, addictive, big black hole. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's, it's, it's funny to people that come in the shop and are buying more and more and more material, just like me. And it's like we have enough enough material in our houses to 
last lifetimes for probably numerous people. Um, so it's it's super addictive, super fun, and as you get better at it, you know you're you're kind of broadening your your skill and tying more challenging patterns and using cooler material. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's really really fun for me. And you know when someone's getting into it, it's like I, I want to keep it simple for them, right? We're gonna we're gonna work on easy patterns, fishable patterns. You know your classics like the woolly bugger, the Pat's rubber legs, the midge. That's a really, really good winter pattern. Um, so, you know, just start simple and don't be overwhelmed. And you know, every fly is a work of art. So, I found that probably the worst flies that I've tied, the ugliest ones, are the ones that work <laughs> the best. They're the buggiest looking ones. And some are meant to be on a magazine cover. They'll catch fish too, but the the ugly ones that you don't think are fit for fishing, they'll work too. Well, listen, I'm going to have you explain some of the bugs because I know in the initial uh, the initial startup uh, of the fly tying classes at Jesse Brown's uh, January 17th, and these are limited. In fact, the January 17th one is on the verge of selling out already uh, before uh, uh, this interview even airs. Don't worry, January 31st is another one. It's uh, six to eight, three different patterns are going to be taking uh, – uh, uh, taking over with instructor Elijah St. Blancard, our guest here on the Carolina Outdoors. But Elijah, here I did all this talking about these are made to imitate nature, catch fish, fool fish as we take them out as anglers. But the art form uh, and sport of fly tying, we, we have to talk a little bit about the name. One of the flies that you're going to be tying this is one of the most prevalent bugs in the water, uh, especially in the cooler, cleaner, moving streams of the North Carolina mountains, is the caddisfly. And when it's in a prepubescent state, it is a caddis pupa. That is one of the patterns that you're going to be teaching us to tie the caddis pupa. But from there, it gets pretty exciting. Tell us about this most famous streamer in the fly fishing world that you're going to be teaching us. I, I think I was calling it Wooly Booger, but you corrected me. And what is it called, and what is it for? Good good question. Yeah, I corrected corrected you the other day in the shop. <laughs> but, you know, you can call it what you want. I just can't get, get behind calling it a booger. Um, it's not a so booger. I, That's in the I, nose. Yeah, I guess the green ones could potentially be a booger, but, um, you know, the woolly bugger is probably one of the most classic patterns. Um, you can fish it for trout, bass. You could probably take it around the world and catch some sort of fish on it. It's kind of like the, the staple pattern, and you could fill a fly box fully, full of woogie. Jeez, listen to me. Um, fill a fly box full of woolly buggers and, and go smash fish all day. So a really staple pattern, and it's, it's relatively easy to tie, and it's fun because you can, you know, pick different colors of marabou, of hackle, put some flash in, put some weight in it to get to the bottom, or just, you know, let it let it flow with the current. It's it's a really, really awesome fly. All right, so, and just for clarification, I was incorrectly calling it a B-O-O-G-E-R. The correct pronunciation, as you heard Elijah say it, is B-U-G-G-E-R. E R, booger, is not right. 
bugger is correct for that to be out there. Uh, you may have to check me on that. I'm not 100% sure, but it's just my preference. Listen, you're our fly tire instructor. We're going with your expert advice as you break it down here on the Carolina Outdoors. The next one is a, a fly. Um, well, I'm going to ask you, what is a Pat's rubber leg replicate? And then I'm going to tell you what its original name was. Okay. Uh, well, the, the Pat's rubber, rubber leg also known here on the east coast as like a girdle bug uh imitates a lot of a lot of different bugs i mean i think the staple of it is probably a stonefly gotcha. uh, but it it kind of looks nothing like a stonefly if you if you really look at them closely um designed by pat dorsey out in colorado and it, it's just a, a really good all-around all-around fly especially winter months stoneflies are one of the more active um bugs in the stream in the cooler months um again a super simple pattern of tie that is really really effective well you stole my thunder there elijah because the uh, original name was the girdle bug back to uh tools and materials used to tie these things the original material was coming from ladies girdles therefore it was called the girdle bug uh, now, um, uh, rightly or wrongly, better named Pat's rubber legs. Uh, speaking of rubber legs, what are rubber legs made for when you're tying those flies? Will you be putting them on, teaching us how to do it during the class? Are, are they made to garner trout's attention to move water or, or just to make it look real? All the above. I think rubber legs are probably one of my favorite synthetic materials just because they're you know if you dunk a girdle bug in the water its legs are moving around and when you mix in a current with that it's it's a really buggy looking material underwater and you can add it to a lot of different flies just to give it a little bit more natural action well if if anybody learned anything from this interview it is uh the beginnings of the patch rubber leg girdle bug or the pr- correct pronunciation of the woolly bugger here on the Carolina Outdoors. For more information on the instructed courses at Jesse Brown so that you, too, can take up this black hole of a hobby called fly tying, an art form, if you will, you can go to jessebrowns.com. You can send an email. Elijah is Elijah at jessebrowns.com for more information that way. Or... Um, give us a call the old-fashioned way, 704-556-0020. Elijah St. Blancard, thank you for the fishing report, but a special thanks for your expert advice on fly tying. And we're looking forward to the January 17th course, $25, or the January 31st course, uh, both 6 to 8 p.m. Wednesday evenings at Jesse Brown's. And, Elijah, there are more things to come with the Charlotte Vice Fly Tying Club as well. Yeah, we're really looking forward looking forward for the next couple months and getting the, the ball rolling on the classes and the club. Um, you know, there's a, a big need for something like this because it's, it's a hobby and it's kind of like a brotherhood. So to just be able to, you know, hang out, talk fly fishing, talk fly tying, is, is really exciting. So um, looking forward to seeing everybody in the shop come on by. And, um, you know, I love love teaching and love talking fly tying and, and everything that goes around fly fishing. So 
Yeah, I appreciate you you having me on the show. Always, Elijah. Elijah, thanks for being on. Off he goes and off I go. But don't worry, I'm going to be back on the other side. We're going to wrap up this edition of the Carolina Outdoors.